Hey guys, welcome back to the 429 Podcast. I'm 2. I'm 9. And I'm 4. And today's topic is... It's an, we haven't had an exact title for it, I would say, but it's sort of called, we're going to call it Breaking the Internet, right? And basically the gist of today's topic is to talk about, you know, code ownership and committing to open source and who really owns your code, right? So yep. this is sort of a breakdown of how we really want to go about this episode. Uh, but before we get started, I just want to remind for those who are listening, you know, we, we see you guys listening. We appreciate the feedback. And we're excited to hear from you. So please follow us on social media, drop us a like, send us emails or phone calls or whatever it may be. We're at mm-hmm. the 429 podcast on all major social media platforms. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, right? And we're also on YouTube. So feel free and drop yeah, us a like. We also got our website too. At the, and our website, uh, the 429 podcast. Yep. Find so all our social media free. links there. You can find And drop us, give us feedback. We're, we've been loving the response we've been getting. Yeah, and we're we're stick around because if you follow social media, you'll be up to date on, you know, some challenges we have in mind that are coming up, some feedback loops, and you know, possibly merch down the line too. So, but anyway, guys, let's get started with today's episode. So, today's inspiration of this episode really came mm-hmm. from an article I read about maybe a week or two weeks ago. Right? It was it was literally titled "How a Programmer Nearly Broke the Internet by Just Deleting Eleven Lines of Code." So there was a software developer in, I think it was Turkey. I think it's, I think he was Turkish, um, who published this package to npm. For those of you who don't know, what npm is npm is a node package manager. It's basically just an open source library for you to access any code that other developers have written, and you can use that library in your own code. And he published a package called Leftpad plus plus, right? And what was interesting about this package is that it's a very simple package. All it really did was it took an, um, a string and it just left padded items in front of it. So, you know, how you may have to left pad zeros, for example, to your uh, phone numbers or something like that. It just did that, which mm-hmm. is perfectly fine. Pretty simple code, pretty self-explanatory, not really that difficult to 11 write. Lines. A, literally 11 lines. And it's something you pick up in your early computer science classes, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Second year, maybe, May, you're while, doing while, second while, year. While, while you still have digits, uh, while you're less than the required number of zeros to input, keep putting zeros. It's like basically. And what's interesting is that npm approached this developer about an unrelated, an unrelated package that he owned, and it was called Kick. Right? Not entirely certain what that Kick package did. I didn't really look too much into the code there. But basically, the argument this developer it was a, had... It was a uh, messaging app. Kick was a basically Kik, a messaging app. No, Kick Kick is a messaging app. But this developer, this Turkish developer, was packaging... It was um, was publishing a package called Kick. Well, that was right? the left pad. He piled in the Kick package. That he oh, that it. was in the Kick package? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So what's interesting is that NPM reached out to this Turkish developer and told them, hey, change the package name, right? Change the package name because Kick, the messaging app from Canada, which is a major corporation that handles messaging, has over 10 million customers around the world, approached NPM, was like, hey, we want our own NPM package and we want to call it Kick. But this developer, since he already had the claim to the name Kick, was told that by NPM to, oh, remove remove this package uh, or change the name of this package just because this corporation came up to them and was like, we want our own package name, right? 
So first, I want to get your thoughts about how, how what do you guys feel about that? So let's start with you, Four. Four, how do you feel about that? Um, come, like, uh, yeah, so I, I just want to start off by saying, I'm actually, according to this article I've been reading, it seems like uh, um, Kokolu, forgive me if I'm saying his name wrong, was actually based in Oakland, just like NPM also was at the time. Um, he might have actually been originally from Turkey, but at least during this whole fiasco, it looks like he was in Oakland. Um, anyway, it's it's really tough, right, because... I mean, our, our legal system gives people the right to kind of own their trademark. And, you know, when you are kick and you have the legal trademarks for kick and you've done all the proper filings, right, that gives you the right to that name in certain senses, right? And, I mean, I would think that an argument might have been able to be made that if kick was going to, you know, take, uh, for example, Kokolu to court over his open source package, you know, Kick has the trademark. Kokolu doesn't. Kick is a technology-based instant messaging platform, right? And mm-hmm. Kokolu was building some, you know, tech package on, you know, once again, like, r- related to programming. So, I mean, maybe there could have been a case made that there was overlap. But at the same time, there's also a good case to be said that there was no overlap, right? Like, Kick's, Kick's uh, trademark probably you know, directly applies to them as a messaging platform. And have an open source code package for whatever they're doing, as long as it's not messaging. Really, I don't know if there's any direct correlation between the two. You know, and like, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know a lot about trademark law, but I think you could make a small case either way, maybe a big case either way. I'm not really certain, but um, I'm just more upset that NPM took it upon themselves to just resolve this um, and literally just gave up his package that was his. He had the name, right? Like, Everything else is always first come first serve, you know. So now they're bending over backwards as an open source, um, as as a kind of company whose biggest thing they do is manage open source applications. You're now bending over backwards for big companies, right? Like I feel like that's kind of against what their original standards would have been or should have been, or what some of the standards of people who are posting to their platforms think. So, I mean, even regardless of the trademark law and who is right or who is wrong in that. I can definitely see it as just a big kind of blunder and um, like it's a reason for their 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 actual constituents and people who are posting to their platform to not trust them anymore. I mean, it's a huge violation of their trust. So, I mean, like I said, I think legally it could really go either way. It would just have to be a long drawn out court case. But in terms of what NPM did, um, you know, regardless of how that lawsuit would have ended, um, I'd just think it was a big violation of trust of their users so and nine what are your thoughts well just to clarify what you said earlier um one it wasn't that kick actually wanted to release their own package it was just the fact that the name of his package was just similar it was just the same as their messaging app right they just didn't like that they just didn't like the fact that his package's name was basically identical to their name and yeah. their trademark. So it wasn't even like, oh, Kick was just trying to contribute to open source, but they wanted to use their name and, you know, you know, have their open name used on the package. No, it, it was simply this guy wrote a package that other developers were using, and it, and it, Kick looked at it and found they're like, well, that's our name, and they just didn't like that, and they were like threatening him with lawsuits and attacking. Right? Well, is is that is that one hundred percent true? Because I mean, I'm looking right now at Kit's GitHub, and they do have a variety of packages, as well as a Kit, uh, as well as a Kit node package specifically for uh, API access to Kit. So I think this at actually the time, could, could have been at, at the time of this article was written. It was just saying that they didn't like, they just didn't want them to be associated with the the Kit name. 
It wasn't anything. They didn't have any plans on, um, what's it called, having a package, at least what it seems like it. And I know about the API you're talking about, um, and I believe that API is fairly new. Well, I, I'm looking at this, and the, the package the package was created five years ago on Kicks GitHub. Five years ago, so that was in 2015. These articles seem to be posted around 2016. So even if it wasn't public at the time, I think it's reasonable to assume they at least had plans for it, is, and is what caused exactly. The so exactly. So a little bit of background on that. So Kick, the messaging platform, did have plans to release an open source repository, right? I think the plan was targeted between 2016 to 2018, right? But they wanted to publish it under the name Kick, and because they could, then they weren't allowed, they weren't able to do it because this developer in Oakland owned that name, and so what happened was well, he didn't Kick, own it. He just had a pub package with the name. Well, exactly. So he owned the name on the package manager, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like it's like for example, if I owned Google.com, I own that domain. I don't own Google, right? Imagine. <laughs> which there's a funny story with that, which we can get into later at the end of the podcast if we need to. But so what Kick went, so the Kick messaging platform went to NPM, which is owned by GitHub, which was owned, which is owned by Microsoft, mm -hmm. right? And they went and they told them, hey, I want to publish under Kick, but tell this dude to not uh, publish under that anymore and tell him to change his thing. And NPM was sort of like, okay. And NPM went to that developer and said, hey, get lost, right? And they catered to this big corporate giant versus this one developer. So what ended up happening was this developer was pissed, mm -hmm. right? Rightfully so, right? And what he did was he revoked all his, of his node packages that he's ever published from NPM, right? So he unpublished them, which is perfectly which is a perfectly reasonable reaction. Yeah. I would do the same thing. Now, you would think that, you know, maybe the cool machine learning algorithm or the cool, like, oh, maybe this, like, graph algorithm that he wrote would be the one that was used the most, right? Yeah. No, it was left pad plus plus that was used the most and that was used believe it or not last time i checked and i think uh four has the statistics on this better than i do i think it was about nine to ten thousand applications were actually using this package worldwide and these aren't just your basic applications that was using this you have facebook instagram twitter right you had major corporations actually using this package right to do left yep. pad plus plus and it makes you, and it just brought up that point. Once you removed it, all those applications stopped working because they couldn't find the node package called Kick. And so, it's it brings up an interesting point, right? And npm's reaction, which I'll get into right now, is that what npm actually did was they stole the code back from that developer and republished it three hours later just to restore all those applications. Mm -hmm. Right, because NPM wanted to save face and make them look like they weren't unreliable. And on top of after forcefully republishing that co that code owner's code without his permission, right, they also changed the terms of policy and services, right, which is still valid to this day of you cannot unpublish a package if you have more than one dependency on it. Right. Mm -hmm. Crazy. You know, I, 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 I legally binds you to think about it. The minute exactly. It just so, like on. Exactly. And so it brings up, and so that's the basic gist of today's topic. I know it was a long-winded way of getting there, but that was the gist of today's topic of who owns the code, right? It's not like, it's not like this developer in Oakland was an employee of NPM and built this out and was paid for it, right? He was just some dude in his basement or garage or room, 
who wrote this cool, who wrote this library and was like, hey, let me share it with the rest of the developer community because as we are in the developer community, we're all really just buddies, right? Mm-hmm. We all ping each other for expertise. Yeah, we may mock each other about a bunch of stuff, but like we're just one giant friend group worldwide, basically, is how you want to think about us engineers. And what NPM did here, I personally am not in the favor of because this really gave a corporation more power than that one developer who was just doing something that was good for humanity. Mm-hmm. Kick could the Kick messaging platform could have easily just went and made a node package called Kick Messaging, but for some hell of a reason, they wanted the Kick. They wanted that one specific Kick name, and the end result was basically this developer having this developer revoking all his code, and then against his will having his code stolen and republished so that npm can really save phase here which by the way right? they're not even using right now the the kick npm package is unused currently if you go to kick interactive that's their um actual like name on github as well as on the npm profiles page it looks to me like they're actually using um at kick at kick interactive slash kick or kick dash start kick dash starter so just pure kick doesn't even appear to be in use right now so so that makes me wonder even more, right? It's like, well, is this, if this is just a branding thing for Kick, that's fine, right? Like, I've personally heard of Kick, but I've never used it or anything like mm-hmm. that either because of a lot of controversial reasons that Kick is behind. But it brings up that point. Why is it? Why is the corporation more powerful than more powerful than the developer in this sense when the developer owns and wrote that code? Right. Mm-hmm. So let's let's get an, let's get an answer on that. And I have a couple other questions to pose to you guys also. So four. Uh, let's get actually let's start with nine this time because we can get his thoughts in. So nine, let's start with you. You know, what are your real thoughts on that one? Um, I think it's kind of it's it, it kind of destroys the spirit of open source. If you think about it and at a, at a, at a basic level, it kind of destroys that trust that's essential to open source to even thrive on. You know, like it, it comes down to a a foundation of trust that as a developer, right, as I publish my code, this is not only going to be used for the benefit of, you know, the community as a whole, but it wouldn't be extremely taken away from me. Or what's it called? I lose control of it, right? I have full ownership of the code and I'm willing to share it to everyone. When something like this happens, you can see how a lot of open, a lot of people who are heavily involved in the open source community can get terrified. Right, because this can be done tomorrow, right? This could be exactly the same situation, just change the company's name or even change the package manager. It doesn't have to be npm; it can be yarn, you know, another big one that's up and coming and rising. And it, it, it kind of it, it could over cause a ripple effect in the open source community, where now you have people who are what we're talking about could be really good programmers who who mm-hmm. could be the guys that could change the landscape of development. For most programmers over time, we don't know that tomorrow a programmer who was really talented and created this great package to make everyone's lives easier, any developer's lives easier, and decide, you know what, I'm not going to do it after all. I don't want to face the legal issues, the headaches that are involved with this. I saw what happened to him. You know, what, what if it happens tomorrow? I'd rather go to the private route and just deal that way. You know, and then, and then there's more. It, it's not it's not accessible anymore, it, it, and it loses that that flame. That and, and and then over time you can see the open source community dwindle, right? There has to mm-hmm. be a trust, and NPN has already showed in this one instance that 
trust their trust is compromised right yeah. like like, yeah. They, like 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 they say it takes years to build a trust, but it takes one action to destroy that trust instantly. And that's what pretty much NPM has did with this one developer and has shown to other de- other open source developers, hey, we're willing to do this for commercial or, you know, privacy, uh, what's it called, enterprise reasons, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's, there you can, I can kind of say with some clear confidence that they could do it again. So I, I'm scared about the ripple effects that's going to have not even just now, but later on in the open source community, how it just yeah. scare people from even joining. No, mm-hmm. absolutely. And that was my exact reaction when I first read this story, right? And mm-hmm. four, I want to get your thoughts around this because, you know, you and me have had multiple conversations about how Node is really taking over the world, how JavaScript is really the next, like, JavaScript it's eating amazing. the world kind of thing, I right? Yeah. I personally don't I personally don't program in JavaScript as much as I program in Java and Python, but that's because I'm more on the back end side, right? Mm-hmm. And but it just brings up that point, right? Like, how do you feel about this being a JavaScript developer and Node and NPM who owns basically the every package known to man that JavaScript runs on does this? How do you feel about that? You know, like like I said before, I just I see it as a huge a huge kind of like it's just a, a breaking of their trust with their with their users, right? Like the open source community was pretty much founded on, like we said, the principles of, hey, let's help each other out. Like, oh, look, I did this really cool thing, and now I want you to use it too. Or like, oh, look, I saved myself this much time by writing this, so you know I'm going to save every developer this much time by giving them access to that, right? There's uh, uh, the, the whole community that's powering these these uh, package managers, at least, at least at the beginning, I mean, they didn't care about the money. They didn't care about anything, right? It was more about, like, Maybe for some of them, they wanted to make a name for themselves in open source, right? Because, I mean, there's a handful of people that are really big in the open source community and kind of power it a lot. Um, but, I mean, for the most part, it wasn't really monetarily driven. And, I mean, when it comes to these, like, big trademark, big corporation things, like, I mean, now their thirst for money and, you know, all of these other things are kind of overriding the original open source mindset of, Hey, let's just do things to help each other out, right? So, like, exactly. And I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily like that. And like, you know, obviously, if let's say, let's say I wanted, I had a package named Google something, right? Like, or Google whatever. And you know, Google, the software company, the software tech giant, wanted to post their own Google um, package, right? I mean, I could see why that would be problematic, right? Because Google is known as a big tech software company. Any package that's named Google something, you're going to immediately think that that's Google, right? And I mean, maybe mm-hmm. these same things would kind of transition over to other places. Um, and I mean, these managers are becoming more mainstream, right? I'm sure you have stuff on here that isn't as open source as some of the other packages are, right? I mean, I don't know. It's it, it's really a tough call. I can see this from both sides. But at the end of the day, I mean, I, I do think that the open source community should probably win out on these arguments because, I mean... They're the ones that really power it and do the work, so. And then let me bring up this point, right? The open source community is so diverse, so valuable, right? Yeah. Everything we really use today is attributed to the open source community. I can give you, I'll rattle off five examples off the top of my head right now. Linux. Mm-hmm. Linux was created by Linus Torvalds. He open sourced it. It's, one, it's the only open source operating system in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And there's been so many flavors that have been built off of Linux such as Ubuntu, right? You got CentOS, 
you got backtrack mm -hmm. you have um cali right mm -hmm. you have all arch right you have all these different flavors of linux and we even have friends and regular just us uh computers when we were computer science students we literally just downloaded the linux package and then customized to our own needs and had our own kind of os if you really want to call it that right so it brings up we have that another big open source thing that's used worldwide at every major corporation git git is an open source project that was actually also designed by linus torvalds mm -hmm. right and that was just his weekend side project kind of thing so he's a genius programmer right um linus if you're listening please we would love to have you on the podcast just saying uh so you know git is another great open source kind of object there right other open source kind of things me and me and nine are very familiar with this flutter right yeah flutter flutter is google's uh basically competitor to, to react on the mobile front and pretty soon on the web front hey, i'm trying to become right? competitive in it come on and they're pretty <laughs> they're getting there they're getting there i said but, i'm like, trying to I i'm trying to i'm trying to become competitive in flutter with you guys yeah Google, you getting there it's all right it's all right i'll teach you flutter if you teach me react right perhaps and it's like and it's like you know, you have this amazing library that's right there. Another another big one, TensorFlow. Think about yeah. TensorFlow for a second. The world's most one of the world's most powerful machine learning libraries, also designed by Google, that's published open source for developers to not only contribute to but to use. Right? Mm -hmm. Another one, we have PyFlask from Facebook, which is also another high big machine learning framework. Right? We have Scikit-Learn. We have and uh, we have um, the NP. The, nat the natural, um, what is it? The, uh, oof, natural why language toolkit. Why am I natural, yeah, the NLTK, NLTK toolkit, right? These are all provided by amazing educational institutions that let us break into these high, high complex um, levels of computing for machine learning and natural learning, language processing, right? Yeah. So it really brings up all these important points that like, it, it, yes, it may be some corporations that are publishing this, but it's due to the developer at the end of the day. It's not a corporation that's writing the code. It's the developer at the end of the day, right? So this really brings up, you know, my second, I guess, subtopic for today, right? Once you commit the code to open source, right, who owns it? Now, let me rephrase the question a little bit here to be a little more cleaner, right? Obviously, if I, if I make a commit to Flutter, Linux, Git, whatever, they own it, right? Mm-hmm. But my main question surrounds for this Oakland developer's example. He made this library. He's the owner of this open source repo, right? He may have other developers contribute to it, but he's the owner of this code, right? So I guess once he committed his code to NPM, right, and told NPM that, hey, you guys can use my code to help other developers. Now, who owns the code, right? Is it NPM or is it the developer? What are your guys' thoughts on that before I give you guys mine? So who owns the code, the NPM or developer? In this I, in this specific use case, when we were talking about kick, I, I I think personally, I think developers should own the code. the 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 question it comes down to is the substantial the substance of the code, right? The mm -hmm. in, in this case, the one that really broke in was eleven lines of code, right? And it wasn't anything, I would say, uh, I don't know how to frame the word correctly. I don't want to say original because it's, it's kind of weird. It wasn't substantial. It wasn't substantial. Like, it, it, like yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure he wasn't the first one to invent those 11 lines of code. Oh, right? uh, hell no. There's no way in hell he was the first one because I'll tell you exactly. honestly, 
we've we've all done it in our intro of Python class. All yeah. of us, right? So, so 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 it's hard to say like if he owns the code. Did he own the the file that wrote the code? I guess yeah, in some aspects he did. But when it comes down to the code or the knowledge that the code uh, gives, it was not really you know tied to him. He wasn't the creator of of the the logic behind the code. I guess that stuff comes down to the logic of the code, right? Yeah. It wasn't credit it's not credited exactly originally only to him right so when, mm-hmm. when when you have an instance of a company like npm recreating it and then you know patching it in to fix all the troubleshooting one may argue well they stole his code but one may argue they probably didn't even need him in the first place since it was such a, a broad a widely known piece of uh, code before mm-hmm. the logic is widely known across most so, uh, department to that point to that point right you are right Right, you are right. The code itself, this eleven lines that broke the internet, right? They're yeah. nothing new. It's nothing. It's nothing like okay, something crazy proprietary the dude came up with, right? Exactly. It's literally, it's literally something. If I open up my Python textbook that I have on my bookshelf right now, I'll probably find it on page three, right? Yeah. It's it's not that difficult to find this chunk of code. Yeah. No. The point the point though, right here, is I think in this scenario though, I think the developer had every right to that code though. Now, if NPM went, now, this is something that NPM could have done, right? And you can't really argue with this. NPM could have went and rewrote this code mm-hmm. for the same functionality and published it under that package name, and they didn't have to involve that developer at all, yep. right? Yep, See, Which is perfectly, which is fine. Yeah, I, right? I agree. But in, this case, but, what, but in this case, what they did was they stole that developer's file from his Git repo, which he owns, which is not... The correct um, thing to do that's technically yeah. plagiarism at the end of the day if you think about it right yeah you know which so, is insane to me well why couldn't they just write the lines of code in a new file yeah i, mean, I don't know most of, most of these articles that we're reading they, they, they seem to be saying that they re-uploaded it or like repackaged it or like what was the terminology they were using because it, it wasn't it definitely they, wasn't they re- like they oh yeah they re-released it is that what they said something they like republished that? it exactly republished they it. republished the same exact package that they stole, yep. that they had from this guy, yep. except they stole it this time without his permission. And you know, it's 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 really, I think the reason that this is such a tough topic, at least in this case particular, is because the package is so simple, right? Like, can you really own eleven lines of code that everyone knows how to do? Like, you don't really own that, right? But I mean, this this will now be used possibly as a precedent going forward. And what if the topic or the package isn't that simple, right? What if mm-hmm. it's something that's been updated and dedicated for years and years and years? Right. I mean, the only thing that I know for a fact is regardless of who owned that code, it definitely wasn't NPM. They're not the owners of it. They did not mm-hmm. own it. That's that. That's a I, I think I think that's that's pretty much, you know, everyone would agree with that. NPM did not write that code. They don't own that code. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, yep. even if it wasn't his I mean, it sure as hell wasn't theirs. So uh, I, I don't I don't like I said, I, I don't think that they should have republished it like that. If you want to build that functionality and re-upload it to solve the problem, go ahead, you know, NPM, go, go ahead and do that. But to just republish his work without his um, authorization, authorization um, I mean, that's, that's, that is like, like I said, it's, it's, it's totally disparaging to everyone else who wants to make and contribute to open source work. So, I mean, I think it's exactly. a Exactly. Real... And to your point. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Exactly. And to your point, NPM stands for what? Node Package Manager. Yep. Yeah. The only job NPM is responsible for is, is responsible for is literally just pointing you to the correct Git repository so you can pull the code. That's mm-hmm. all it should be doing. 
right? Maybe they house the Git repos internally for safety reasons, fine. But that's all their job really is at the end of the day. But what I find really interesting is, you know, this this does establish an interesting precedent, right? Because it's like, if they could do this, if, if the NPM package can do this on their code, right? Yep. It sort of put, builds just distrust across all stacks of technology, right? Mm-hmm. How yeah. do I know that the Java library I'm using for my own personal reasons won't get stolen by Java and used, right? Or my Python library. Now, to be fair, Oracle, the uh, owners of um, Java and the Python development community have both come out and said that, and they condemned what this and what NPM has done, right? Because they know what a huge you know, disparaging trust that could breach between yep. developers and the open source community, right? So it's very interesting to see that, you know, NPM sort of like its own island with this because Java, Python, as well as other open source languages like C, C++, and the open source community as a whole has truly condemned this act that NPM has done because they've done this by stealing another person's work. Which in engineering is a big, big, big no-no. You always give credit where credit is due in engineering. Yeah. I mean, I bet even Facebook condemns this. As, you know, and Facebook steals our data, bro. Like, yeah, seriously? That's, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, like <laughs> Facebook, you know, I'm not, not an ideal candidate for, you know, you know data privacy <laughs> and all that. And they even they can do it because they know from from a developer standpoint, the, the predecessor and, and the, the rippling effect this has, right? And what pisses me off more is how... They not only stole his code, but just to like smack him in the face with it, they changed his. They changed the terms and services immediately, and were like, "Nope, you can't unpublish it." Like, yeah. that's a big, big, big like slap said, in the that, face. That, yeah, that's that's that just doesn't a big slap in the face to him. But like every single now developer that wants to work for NPM, that's a big slap, right? And and more worst of all is the people who are already in NPM working, mm-hmm. right? Now immediately, without any, without with a sudden change of course. They're not legally bind. Everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had no question. They had no authority. Had no. They had no warning. And now they're all legally bind because they made one change in one moment. Yeah. And let me and to bring up this point, and I want to be very clear throughout the course of this discussion. We are only talking about NPM here, as it was its own separate entity back in 2016. Yep. Yeah. We're not talking about the current NPM, which is owned by Microsoft, which is a huge, huge, huge proponent of open source. I personally believe now, if we were to get the same issue crop up again, I think we have a much bigger stance in the open source community where Microsoft is going to be like, oh, hell no, right? They beat you to it. It's at your loss. Go settle it with a developer, yep. right? Do kick with two Ks. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Kick with two. Do you know how many files I've had to rename from like Python to Python 1, Python 2? <laughs> like, come on. Oh, like, man. No, you know what it is, right? I think, I think you're, so, you're so true, right? I, I think one of the biggest reasons that this might have happened at all is, I mean, think about it. You're a rather, you're a standalone company, right? Kick is a pretty mm-hmm. big company also. I mean, do mm-hmm. you really want to get into big legal disputes with them for one? And two- To be fair, if you go back to 2016, to your point, for to go back to 2016, I would argue that Kick was an even bigger company than NPM itself. Yeah, I would, I would probably agree with you. I don't, I don't know exactly how big NPM was in 2016, before being acquired mm-hmm. by Microsoft, um, do we know when that happened? By the way, Microsoft's acquisition of NPM. Microsoft, I think, acquired. My, also, <laughs> this is a very hairy situation because NPM was acquired by GitHub, right? Yeah. And then when GitHub and Microsoft completed their acquisition, so when Microsoft actually acquired GitHub back in 2018, 19, mm-hmm. something like that, right? 
that's when Microsoft owned NPM because it bought GitHub and therefore it bought all its subsidiary companies, right? Um, so technically, if you want to actually put a correct timestamp time on it, Microsoft owned it in 2019, but I think GitHub bought it in 2017 or shortly after the scandal actually happened. Yeah. I see. But continue to your point, but continue your point. Yeah, so anyway, my, my, my point here was if they didn't have the, the legal scares that would have happened as being a small company possibly on the verge of major lawsuits, they might have had different outcomes here. So, mm-hmm. you know, with Microsoft now kind of doing all of this stuff and owning these platforms, I, I do think that we'll see, so long as they continue to have a good track record when it comes to open source development, um, I do think that we're more likely to see good things come out of these situations um, because they no longer have to be scared about legal legal defense. I mean, go ahead, kick. What are you going to sue Microsoft? Congratulations. Go ahead, try it. Like, I mean, that's the, 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 they're never going to get anywhere with that. And I mean, Microsoft will just wait them out and make it a long, painful lawsuit process because they can do it, and kick can't really keep up. So I I, I think I think force um, just made me realize something very important. Right, as much as we want open source to be a free thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, like something that's open to everyone that allows even the smallest developers to do this, even the smallest amount of work, but contribute to an overall greater service for everyone. Right. We also need that balance of it being backed by large corporations to I prevent agree. things like this. Or, right. It's the fact that corporations like Microsoft, Facebook, or Oracle, these big companies who are proprietary of many open source libraries and stuff like that. The fact that they're big operations at the end prevents, you know, incidents like this from occurring. But it's kind of weird to think about that because it kind of goes against the whole open source nature of it at all. That everything should be tied to the individual, not to a corporation. Well, I argue with that. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to argue with you on that point. I think what open source has truly become now, and I personally love it. I'm a huge proponent and a huge part of the open source community, right? Yep. And it's that. These corporations, Google, Microsoft, uh, Facebook, right, Linux, these corporations or nonprofits, right, mm-hmm. are the gatekeepers of open source. They're basically, if you want to think about it, think about open source as a public park, mm-hmm. right? Think about it as a public park. The fence that is around the public park and the gatekeepers at the public park, right, is those corporations. Mm-hmm. They protect everyone on the inside. And everyone on the inside is all these developers doing their own crazy development work, yep. right? That's the way I truly see the open source community. And I see your point of how it's you think it's against the open source community with, you know... Well, I'm not saying it's against it. I'm saying if you think about it from a pure logical and the nature of open source itself, right? Because, you mm-hmm. know, open source originally at its origin was about against... Uh, corporations. The yeah. whole reason yes. a lot of open sources started in like right. the seventies and stuff like that was pretty much to fight against corporations owning everything. It mm-hmm. like think of, think of uh, Linux, right? The whole reason Linux was born was because have... it's because Linus was like, I'm not paying for a Mac and God exactly help, use a Windows. <laughs> this goes all back to the origin of open source, right? It was to fight against the big man, to fight against uh, corporations biting every single uh, what's it called um, dollar you have, or even their manpower and show that the community as a whole can fight against these corporations and even provide something subsidial or even more subsidial than these corporations counterparts. Right. But if you think about it in today's landscape, I'm saying in today's landscape, 
it's weird that we kind of need these these big corporations for open source to thrive. You know, here's here's the kind of problem I see though, right? Modern open source is very different than it was a while ago. Um, for one other reason, we've got big package managers now. Years ago, yeah. you know, you wanted to do open source software. Okay, you downloaded it when it was ready to update. You manually updated it, right? There was no central point that managed all of your open source projects like that, right? I mean, if I want to use an open source project in my NP in my Node project and it's not on NPM, I can't get it on Yarn, right? Like, it's kind of unlikely that I'll use that. Why? Because it's a pain in the neck, right? You've got to worry about security fixes and bugs and mm -hmm. patching mm -hmm. and updating and there's a whole list of things you've got to now do because your package manager just doesn't do it for you. So, yeah. I mean, now open source is a different landscape. Like I said, not even in just terms of who's building what, but it's different in terms of how you're accessing and ingesting the open source material, right? These package managers were made to make people's lives easier, but in turn, now you have to give them a certain amount of power over these things, right? So, I mean, I think that you definitely need... Um, or maybe it's necessary to have your big tech companies kind of backing the open source development that really helps and having some protections um, with in terms of like their resources and money is definitely a big assistant in making sure that everyone's projects remain their projects and, you know, no laws are broken, no rights are infringed upon. But at the same time, um, maybe we just need more clarity in terms of laws protecting open source uh, development. Like, for example... You've got Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which protects tech companies from things that get posted to their web pages, right? So mm -hmm. if you're, you know, Facebook and someone posts some like, you know, um, child pornography, yeah, something like that, right? Oh. Like you yeah. aren't directly liable for the actions of that user, right? Facebook is now going to go, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's not getting arrested for that. You know, maybe he's allowing yeah. it knowingly and he's partaking Mark in it. That's, been, that's, that's yeah. way different. Um, Mark would have been in jail so long ago if that yeah, was the case. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly. But, I mean, w maybe these same protections, um, I mean, maybe maybe the laws and the verbiage kind of are, are, not clear, are not clear enough, right? So, for example, NPM, if they were to have those same protections where packages made available by their users, a.k.a. Uh, Mr. Coca-Cola from, you know, Oakland, um, I mean, they wouldn't have to worry about getting sued by Kick anymore. And then they could simply say, hey, sorry, take it up with, you know, Whoever the other dude is that owns that package, right? You know, I want to, I want to, I want to elaborate on this point, right? I think the main issue is not only that NPM stole like the code, but the other issue I want to point out is that Kick handled this in the worst absolute possible way oh, they yeah. could have. Kick went to their legal counsel and they were like, "Yo, send this developer a, a, a letter, a certified Attack letter him. that says, Fire yes. him. yeah, basically push him like, around," which is. Pretty ironic considering Kick is Canadian, right? Yep. So it's like <laughs> do it nicely though. <laughs> a like, but like, um, what's interesting here is that Kick handled this in the worst possible way, and there's corporations that you know we've seen that handle this in amazing, amazing ways. One example, Google, right? So this is a Google story we alluded to earlier in the beginning of the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Google, right, by accident forgot to buy their own domain, Google.com. Right, so it was on sale, ironically, on Google domains for twelve dollars. <laughs> and, oh. and guess who picked it up? And an actual random engineer Joe. who actually, yeah, it was. But ironically, it was an engineer who actually was working at Google, looking for a domain for Google to use on something else. And so he bought Google's domain for twelve dollars with his own personal card and personal information. And guess what? That that engineer 
was technically the owner of Google.com. Yep. And you never saw a response so quick from a tech company. The tech company immediately emailed him on his personal email. It was like, hey, can you hop on a call? We need to talk to you, right? <laughs> they didn't, they weren't like, they weren't like, oh, like, let's get our legal counsel and ban him from buying this domain or doing any of this stuff. Fire him no. right now. Google literally called him and was like, all right, look, look, it's our bad. We messed up. How much we got to pay you for this? Like, and the developer, you know, and this tells you about the nature of most software engineers. I won't say all, but most software engineers. The engineer was like, look, straight up, just, can you just give it like, uh, I think I forgot the exact amount, but it was, they ended up giving him 606613, which is Google, mm -hmm. right? In numbers as a donation, as, as, a, as a payout, right? They mm -hmm. were like, look, we messed up, but we'll give you 60 grand for it, right? And he bought it for $12, mind you. And he was like, yeah, that's fine, but instead of sending it to me, can you just donate it to this, like, charity I support? Yep. Right? And that was the nature of this engineering. Google was like, well, in that case, let's double it, right? And so then they gave him 120 grand, right, to donate to charity because he bought Google's domain accidentally. And he, and this developer was true to his word. He gave, he handed Google back the domain and Google's now the owner of Google.com again, right? Mm -hmm. and, see, and, see now, how that works, and see how that works out too. Like everyone literally wins in that situation. Everyone like, wins in that situation. A nice charity got a great donation. An engineer found an awesome flaw that he's going to be known forever about. Mm -hmm. He's right? a legend now. And Google, and Google shows their culture and their corporate aspect of being like, hey, look, you know, we fucked up. It's my bad, right? Like, yay. Like just here, here's some cash, and let's make it like let's work this out, right? Bro, he's got they didn't he's threaten... got he's got one hell of like a Tinder bio now. He's gonna be like previous owner of Google.com forever. <laughs> oh, like five minutes. <laughs> Bro, like, Damn, yeah. legend. So it brings up that point, and I think this was more representation of Kick's corporate culture at that time. That was like, yeah, let's just start in this guy with a legal lawsuit and a legal counsel thing, and just make sure he just never publishes code again. Instead of being like, hey. We kind of want to publish under Kick. Can we like negotiate something out here, right? Like, how difficult would that would have been, right? And it honestly would have been better for the developer, and it probably would have been great corporate engagement for Kick if they were like, "Hey, you know, we work great with the open source community. Here's an example of when we negotiated with this yeah. developer in Oakland, right?" And it's it's all these like little little things that they could have done, or hell, instead of doing legal counsel and threatening with a lawsuit or anything. They probably could have paid that dude like fifty grand to just buy the node package. I'm sure he would have said yes. Did, did I he mean, not, I did he yes not like, say? Hey, did it? he not say thirty grand was his number in the article that we were reading earlier? I don't remember exactly, but like I'm pretty sure he was. It was some like stupid low number that he was like, "Look, give me like twenty grand and it's like yours," because obviously, yeah. he's giving up Look, his ownership technically. Right, right here, which is fair. Stratton offered to pay for the name, and Cockaloo suggested thirty thousand dollars for the hassle of giving up with my pet project for a bunch of corporate dicks. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, I guess I guess he probably should have worded that better, and maybe he would have got to thirty grand. But yeah, like. But I see his perspective there, right? And he has that right. He was there first, first come, first serve, right? And it's not like he did this maliciously. Like, you had people like, I'll give you a perfect example, Washington Redskins, right? They're no longer known as the Washington Redskins. They're now known as the Washington football team. And as they're coming up with a new name, what Washington football fans are doing is going to Google Domains or GoDaddy and buying every domain that they think the Washington football team will have, yep. just so just so when Washington names their team, they have to they have to pay them for the domain, right? Interesting Damn. strategy. 
Also, right? I did just I... want to note the the main article we've been reading is is on courts. Uh, courts uh, it is how one programmer broke the internet by deleting a tiny piece of code. Uh, it's by a guy named Keith Collins, a tech reporter from March twenty seventh of twenty sixteen. And don't worry, we'll link it in our bios and our description so you guys can check it out for yourselves too. Right? I'll make sure I get on that at the end of the at the end of the episode. But it brings up that very interesting point. It's like, yeah, Kick could have handled this in so many better ways, right? I don't see why Kick just didn't sit down at a negotiating table and was like, all right, let's just settle this, right? And why did they let emotions and the threat of lawsuits and everything get in the way with this? Because now it blew up way more than it needed to be. And it not only affected, you know, the developer and Kick itself, but it really put like a hemorrhage on the open source community at least until now, I believe, now that Microsoft owns it, and it's like, haha, we're proponents of open source, like, you gotta listen to us you know, now, they're, right? They're, they're a bad, they gave corporations a bad name when you do things like that, okay? There's a reason why open exactly. source developers don't like corporations a lot of the time. It's because, it's because people of this. like Kick do things like that. Like, you immediately threaten legal action, right? Like, I mean, there's there's way better ways to handle these things, like... You know, you're a big corporation. You have deeper pockets. Offer to pay him, right? Like, he owns something Call that you want. Up. Call him. Like, I don't understand it. It's just people that, that, I don't know. I don't get it. But now I want to bring up another point that you brought up for, right? And how you talked about, you know, how it could be a pain in the ass to, like, get all these libraries configured and all the security stuff and blah, 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 right? Yeah. This was, again, we have to keep in mind also, this was 11 lines of code that we could have found in a regular, any any language, you want to pick any language, in their textbook, we would have found this code, right? And this was only 11 lines of code, is what I want to keep emphasizing. And it's not 11 unique lines, it's 11 just things, it's 11 lines of code that we learned earlier in our careers as computer science students, right? Yep. So let me bring up this point. Are we too reliant on libraries? Right? What are your guys' thoughts around that? Four, let's start with you. Oh, I mean, in some ways, absolutely. But in other ways, no. I mean, libraries make... I mean, they're the reason why spin-up time for good-looking applications is, like, so low. You know, I can go from having nothing, right? Literally sit down at my computer, no code, and have a good-looking, functioning web page in, like, a couple <laughs> of hours, like, if that, right? Like, I mean... Why can you do that? It's because of these libraries, right? Without them, you wouldn't be able to do that stuff, right? Imagine me trying to uh -huh. sit down and set up REST APIs with, uh, in Node without using, like, Koa or Express, right? Or using, like, uh, Flask or Django in Python, right? Like, imagine me trying to go and build a good-looking web page really quick with, you know, reusable uh, reusable components and um, different, different pieces of... Um, just different functionality without using React or mm -hmm. Angular, right? Like, can you imagine yourself doing that? Like, on a tight schedule, a tight budget, being able to hit all of these different points without having libraries? I mean, I mean, it, it, it's it's tough, but you save so much time and money by using libraries, right? And by using these open source projects. So, I mean, are we too reliant on them? Probably. It w might be considered too reliant when every single application in the world is probably using some form of open source project that anyone can write to. But, I mean, I think that's why the process just needs to be strict. You need to have, you know, good review. You need to kind of make sure that things like this article don't happen and break stuff. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I really, I only see them as, as, as benefits because 
I mean, it's it's just made overall stuff like really, really. It, it's made overall development a much better process. All right, nine. What are your thoughts on that? I don't. I I hundred percent agree with four. I'm pretty much in all aspects. Um, I don't think we're over reliant. I think if, I could attribute this to pretty much the flow of technology itself, right? The way how we advance as society. We advance as a society because we have certain um, fundamental, um, basically, fun, um, fundamentals mm-hmm. of technology that allows us to make our lives easier, right? Just think about uh, the the act of industrializing us, you know, automating, um, you know, the manufacture process. These are all technologies that allow us to create more impressive products over our span of as a as a civilization, right? We rely on these technologies, right? Imagine how we didn't have the all the technologies from the industrial era and stuff like that, stuff mm-hmm. that we rely on, the the uh, agriculture technologies that we developed in the, over the last few years, we wouldn't be able to, to feed everyone, right? So saying that we're too reliant on them, I mean, at some point, yes, but at the same time, we kind of need them. Otherwise, we're going to be doing the the old-fashioned way, which takes up way too much time, and it's just not feasible in our current era, right? And we we need these libraries because it allows us to basically as developers get over with the repetitive stuff and get to the stuff that should matter. This is the whole point about the libraries is to minimize the, the time a developer is wasting on repetitive issues and rather focus on unique situations, unique problems, mm-hmm. and, and hopefully create a new proprietary technology or proprietary service or tech that essentially would, you know, change the landscape. And then as developers and as a community, we should be adding to that, tech stack that i say right yep. as you know as the open source community grows we add more libraries and with every library and um you know package we add on to it realistically the starting points for a developer is much higher than it was 10 years ago and you know what i can honestly say in the last 10 years i can say that with guarantee that it has in the last 10 years the 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 process that the open source has got to us has allowed developers like four said just think about it in terms of building a website the, the downtime from nothing to something is incredibly short now. Mm-hmm. Like I can, as a web developer, I can build a so, sort of functioning website in like two hours easily. And that's due to the help of, you know, taking care of all the repetitive stuff like um, rest, rest calls and um, what's it called? Styling sheets and stuff like that. And even stuff as mundane like HTML code using uh, packages like temp- uh, template engines that allow me to make it even more easier to read and faster to reproduce and allow more functionality to it. All this is because I had libraries and packages to rely on. So it's hard to say, are we too reliant on it? Because we wouldn't be where we are if we didn't have them. Yeah. Not, not to your point, right? And it only takes you know you two hours, right? Because we have to keep in mind, we're still novice programmers, right? We're still exactly. not. We haven't... We haven't, all of us haven't been programming for years. My personal experience has maybe been last, like, five years maybe I've been doing this. Four years, right. I would say, for me. Yeah, probably right. towards, like, five or six also. Right. So it's like, we're still novice programmers, but I bet you if you pull the web developer at Google, right, he'll probably put you up a website in about 10 minutes without a problem, right? 10 minutes, you probably make it more functional than mine, and it'll probably make it look more original and nicer than mine, too. What do you mean? Probably, right? And so it... It all brings up these points, and what I want to say on the library front is that I think we are reliant on libraries, but I think for good reason, because like Nyan said, 
you want to focus more on the nitty gritty, the proprietary code, right? You don't want to be focusing on, hey, why isn't my list working, right? Like yeah. you don't want to be focusing on that. You want to be focusing on the nitty gritty, the hardcore, the you know, like logic, all right. your like use case specific tasks, like exactly, you know. exactly, right. You want to focus on that. Now, to bring up another point for over for the reliance on libraries, I think for to your point, I think standards need to be met, right? I think the company and the corporation that handles standards the best, Oracle, right? I think Oracle with their Java programming language handles this the best because. They, although they allow, although the Java language allows third-party libraries that you could import via Maven and Gradle, for example, right? The core underlying structure of the language is reliant on these Java libraries, right? You import the Java libraries that do things for you, and you know the Java libraries are reliant because the Java libraries are owned by the same corporation that owns the language. Mm -hmm. So you know there will always be support, and there's an advisory group meeting with these uh, owners of the language that go, all right, what's the next features or next packages we should own to make the development experience better for Java? And that's why with each iteration of Java, JDK 8, 9, 10, 11, up to 14 now, the language just gets better and better and better, right? Now, now there's also languages that don't handle this that well. The most evident example we just saw is JavaScript. JavaScript is based on all third-party libraries, right? There's no one continuous unit unit that owns like all these Java JavaScript packages, and it makes you wonder, right? Like, you could have developers like this Oracle development guy who, although he pulled it for the right reasons, you could have malicious developers, right, who could write code and then have it like sleeping for five years and then go, ha, thirty thousand people rely on this. Not anymore, and just pull the plug, right? 100%. So it brings up that valid aspect too, and it makes you wonder, you know, like, how can languages better support, you know, library support? How, what do you guys think on that one? And a quick two minutes on this one, because I have one more topic before we close off. How can libraries better support? What was the question? How can languages better support libraries? So Java, I think, is like the gold standard example, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Right, yeah. in that you have the Java libraries, and then you could import via Maven or Gradle, right? Those third-party libraries, if you really, really need them, right? Yeah. But Java, the Java core libraries itself, does everything that the base language structure should support and use, right? Whereas, like LeftPad, like this LeftPad example, there's a Java co core library for LeftPad, right? Mm -hmm. But like JavaScript, for example, was a third-party library owned by some other dude. I think it's it's hard to say. I think it depends on the project. So, um, I, I do like that Java has basically core utility functions that are tied to them, right? Which means an issue like this shouldn't occur. But that's just for an issue this simple, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean this issue wouldn't occur again if the problem was a little bit more complicated, like mm -hmm. something more less generic, you know, as an as a solution, right? And I think even you might want to say, well, the freedom that npm offers is uh, a disadvantage, I can say, I can kind of say it's a, it's an advantage, actually, because it provides more unique packages and allows more people to, it pushes people to, you know, more op open source developers to push towards it than I would say, like, a Maven package would or or uh, a Java jar file would, right? Um, I think that's sort of the benefit of NPM is that it's so free and because it's so free and it's such a thriving community, it has so many different packages for so many different situations, right? For me, I, I kind of contribute 
Yarn, and you know Java package managers in general, JavaScript package managers in general as the golden standard. Yeah, I, would, I would tend to agree with you, Nine. Um, I've been writing a lot of Java code recently, but I've also written in the past a lot of JavaScript and Python code, and I really like the way NPM does package management. I think it's very straightforward. Yeah. It's very easy Super to understand. Super simple. Very yeah. simple versus like using Maven and learning Maven, having not done it uh, previously. It's so annoying and like maybe I'm just, maybe I need more time. But Love Maven. It is just yeah. not <laughs> like, nearly as simple as I would have liked it. So I, a, I, I've used Maven. To, to using it properly. I use Maven. I think it's a headache uh, when you're really? starting. Yeah, when you're starting. I think once you have a base project, it's sort of easy and you kind of know what packages to use and what not to use. Um, but I think it's a total headache when you're building a new project and starting from scratch. If we just break uh, down like a POM XML versus like a, a package.json, like the package.json, it's just, I, I don't it's, know. So it's, simple. So simple. it's so simple. It's so simple. It's so simple. Out, like, like it's very organized. It, you know, from quickly glancing it, 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 you know exactly what's going on, what dependencies on, versions and stuff like that. Well, POM. I have to kind of like crack out a textbook and start analyzing with a magnifying glass. Okay, what? Well, well, in that case, then in that case, I think to be honest with you, I think Python's probably the easy side of this because Python you have a requirements.txt file and you just specify oh, yeah, the, the pip. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Pip. I would say pip, uh, Python and JavaScript are the golden standard. I would say yeah. jo jo uh, Java is right, kind of right behind, but it's it's issues with Maven and the fact that you need Maven even just to have uh, imports is itself is relying. Yeah, you on can it. do Gradle, but like. It's the mm -hmm. same thing. You need an external, you know, support for it. It's not integrated into the whole language mm -hmm. like NPM is kind of. But All yeah, right. move on. But let's spend the last five, ten minutes. I want to just talk about this, you know. I like ending this off with like a pie in the sky kind of like idea, right? Okay. Now, how do we keep open source open? That's the question, Explain. right? So we saw now with the whole open source yeah. issues that like, you had NPM, for example, go and just ban this developer and continuously just and just plagiarize his code essentially and repost it, right? Yep. How can we prevent something like that from happening again? Can we as developers prevent something like that happening again? Or is that more on the corporations? Or how, how, what do you guys think? Go anywhere you guys want with this answer. I don't really know, honestly. I'll start. Yeah, if you don't know, I'll start. Sure. Yeah, go, go. So I, I, I think it's a very hard question to answer, right? So mm -hmm. unless you as a developer are prepared to say, hey, NPM, I didn't like what you're doing, so I'm no longer using NPM, like, really there's nothing you're going to do to stop them from doing what they want. Like, unless you're, unless you're prepared to say, I'm no longer using your service simply because you're doing things I don't like, like, then how do you stop them? Or unless you as a package manager, then do the same thing like he did and stop, you know, no more posting to NPM, I'm using Yarn exclusively, right? Like, the only way to prevent those things from happening is to have a population of people using your services that are actively caring about these issues and ready to move to a different platform that will support their wants and needs. Which can be difficult if, you know, yeah. if you're working in a corporation that heavily relies on it. Yeah. You know, already integrated with it fully. And, you so know, that's it's, a big problem of... with programming in general. You become reliant on things. It's embedded yeah. in your code. And then you'd have to go back and change 15 years worth of stuff to make the changes, right? So the Did someone say legacy? Well. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I don't want to touch that. <laughs> Keep me away. No, I, I like Ford said it. it it's, it's a tough question. I, I, don't, I can't think of a clear situation. 
I don't know if there's a open source community uh, uh committee or something. I w- uh, but I would like to see one kind of acting like a a middleman, you know, to like deter certain instances like this. You know, like if if an if this, if this individual developer gets attacked by a corporation, this community could, you know, step up and represent them and, you know, and in support for open source, you know, in support of keeping things open as are and deterring these things from happening. And um, I'm, I, you know, that would be an ideal case, but you know, we still need big corporations like Facebook, Google, Oracle, all these guys to, you know, hopefully, always stay on the track of keeping open source, staying, um, you know, towards the path for developers and keeping things flowing as they should, and not get greedy like kicked it. Yeah, to your point, there are open source uh, foundations that do support the whole initiative of keeping open source open, like this question we just proposed, right? So a few of them will rattle off off the top of my head. We have the Linux Foundation, Mm -hmm. right? We have the Eclipse Foundation. We have the Creative Commons. We have the Apache Software Foundation, right? And one that I think is Forrest's favorite, we have Red Hat, right? That Mm -hmm. all maintain these open source sort of initiatives and like specific packages and stuff that's like. the, yeah see that's the that's also the issue right I, I mean like a generic open source for the sake of everything open source and they come in and basically act like a deterrent or like a separation of between the individual developer and this for example in this case kick and kind of represent them you know mm-hmm. they use their 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 resources their um their what's it called their power their expertise to handle this situation peacefully and resolve the issue and you know i would love to see big corporations once again i'm saying corporations big corporations should be helping this you know donate to this committee donate to this thing and you know you know put give them some of their resources to help them out you know we gotta yeah. we gotta act and, you know as one whole community and as a community when we see instances like this which we have seen you know when this happened to defrown upon this you know point out that this is not the way to do it point out that this is something that we should be cutting out from our community and react accordingly to so it. You do have people like the EFF, right? The Electronic Frontier Foundation. Um, if you guys don't know about them, they're a nonprofit in uh, San Francisco, California. Um, yeah, I heard about them. Essentially what they do is they 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 pretty much protect your online and digital rights, right? To privacy, yeah. free speech. And I don't know if they've, exactly. ever, I don't know if they've ever touched something like, um, like open Software? source. Um, but I would imagine that this must be something within their kind of like umbrella. Of, I, I, I think it's like in, in in there, right? But you know, the fact when their their goal is so broad, like privacy in general, I wouldn't be surprised that they didn't decide to act on it, right? Because it's such a it's just a niche thing if you yeah. think about it, in the grand scheme of data privacy and privacy as a whole, right? It's such a, a niche thing. That's why I want fair, basically that template of when I forgot the name, but that was the one I was talking thinking of when I was talking about this. That template of that community, but only specifically for open source yeah. software and packages and yeah. stuff like that. That's yeah. my idea. I don't know if any off the top of my head, but maybe one exists. And if you know about one, you know, go ahead and let us know. We're, you know, we graciously talk about it some more. Um, Love to hear from them. But at that point, we are out of time right now today. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode on pretty much on open source rights um, and how one guy broke the internet with 11 lines of code. Uh, it was a really interesting discussion. Uh, but we will see you guys on our next episode of TechCast this Friday. Yeah, and don't forget to follow us on all our social media, Twitter, Facebook, all that. Check us out on our website, the49podcast.com. Mm-hmm. We have all the links top right of all our social media. 
And if you're not a big fan of just watching the podcast on the website, no problem. We have every single we're available on most major platforms from Spotify, and we just Apple Podcasts. And we just onboarded to Amazon as well. So you guys can access us on Amazon Podcasts. As so well. you got Amazon Prime? Watch us. We're, we're welcome, all of them. Mm-hmm. If you want to watch it on your TV, you want to watch it on your their toaster, uh, your your refrigerator, you're free to do so. Oh, that would be dope. <laughs> <laughs> I bet someone did already. All right, later, Send guys. Send us a picture if you watch it on your fridge. All right, oh, yeah. later, guys. Thank Bye. You. Take care.